Hello and welcome to A History of the United States, Episode 7, A Fresh Start. Remember that this is a listener-supported podcast. If you enjoyed the show, the best way to support it is to sign up for membership. You can do that by going to the website, thehistoryofpodcast.com, and clicking on the PayPal subscription button. For only $5 a month, you can get access to members' exclusive episodes. An episode has just gone out on that feed all about the rise of the Aztecs, from a semi-barbarian people migrating from Aztlan to the foundation of Tenochtitlan and rise to power over the Mexican basin. If that sounds like something you'd enjoy, the website again, thehistoryofpodcast.com. The relationship between the English colonists at Jamestown and the Powhatan Confederacy had always been strained, ever since the first settlers arrived. In early 1609, it was revealed just how fragile this relationship was when John Smith had to flee for his life after Wahonsonocock tried to assassinate him at Werowocomoco, and Smith, soon afterwards, only being able to secure food for the colony by conducting trade negotiations with Oppenjankinov, literally at gunpoint. The only reason the colony had been able to survive this long was because of the food supplied by the Powhatans, and the next two years would be difficult. Indeed, this would be the starving time. So, what happened when Smith returned to Jamestown? This was where we left things last week. Well, he was met with more bad news. There had been an accident when some of the men were sailing to Hog Island. Eleven were killed including two councillors, Scrivener and Waldo. Word then came back of the Germans with Wahonsonokok, encouraging further defection. When Smith went out to investigate, he was attacked by a group of Paspahes, commanded by the chief, Wawinchapunkt, in which Smith was almost killed. This would prove beneficial, though, in the long term. The Paspahes were not as powerful as the Powhatans, and Smith was able to outman them. When Smith launched a counterattack, the two sides reached an agreement, whereby Smith would leave the Paspahes alone, and in return, they would supply him with food. As winter turned into spring, Smith continued improving the colony. They were producing pitch, tar, soap ashes, and glass. A second fort was built on the other side of the river, in case they should ever need to abandon Jamestown. Hog Island had hogs, and they planted corn over 30 to 40 acres. The problem was food. Their supplies had either rotted or been eaten by rats. Smith had no choice but to spread out his force, or risk starvation. He sent a group of 70 about 20 miles downriver to live on oysters, which had been found there. This worked at providing them with food, but there are problems with an all-oyster diet. Their skin started peeling off. Seventy more went upriver to live on food they could find by the waterfalls. This left seventy at Jamestown, and these didn't want to work. They wanted to be soldiers, not farmers. They had no interest in forming careers, and just traded privately with the natives. Smith was forced into desperate action, to try and keep the peace. He threatened to hang anyone 
who talks of abandoning the colony for Newfoundland, and to expel anyone from Jamestown who didn't produce as much food as he did. I don't really want to repeat myself, but this was the starving time. Smith was just preoccupied with food, which is why he eagerly awaited Newport and the third supply, which was due in the spring of 1609. But Newport didn't come. Smith dealt with problems caused by the Germans and the colony stumbled along, but Newport still didn't come. Wahun Sonnecock didn't attack, despite encouragement from the Germans, he was happy to wait and watch. And things got worse. Still, Newport didn't come. Then finally, in mid-July, two ships were spotted. But it wasn't Newport. Was Smith's doom to come from either the angry Powhatans, his own men on the verge of mutiny, or perhaps a Spanish raid? No, it was to come from London. We must see what was happening with Newport after he arrived back in England following the second supply in January 1609. It had been realised for some time that Jamestown wasn't going well. The colony hadn't done anything the company intended. They'd spent a lot of money and earned very little. Henry Clinton, the Earl of Lincoln, had been saying that a different approach was needed for a year by this point. This need for change was made abundantly clear by the letters Smith sent back to London Newport had with him, and by speaking with Radcliffe, who had returned to England with Newport. Sir Thomas Smith knew that something needed to be done. It's been a long time since we've talked about Sir Thomas Smith, so I'll reintroduce him. He was, quite simply, the leading merchant of the day. He was the governor of the East India Company. He'd also set up the Turkey Company and the Russia Company, not to mention others he was merely involved with. He was an MP, was a high-ranking official in the Royal Navy, and had been appointed ambassador to Russia in 1604. Thomas Smith was one of the major backers of the Jamestown expedition, and he called a meeting in late January 1609 to work out just what was wrong. They found two problems. The system of government wasn't working. The council were the president they would need to create a new charter for the colony to fix it. And the second issue was the route. It was taking far too long for ships to travel back and forth. This was causing supply problems. You only really need to look at a map to realise how big this particular problem was. The English were sailing along the southern route. They were getting to the Chesapeake from England via the Canary Islands and the Caribbean there had to be a more effective route than this. To fix the problems, the company turned to Captain Samuel Argyle to find a shorter route, which would get the ships to Virginia directly from the Canaries without sailing to the Caribbean. This would see them avoid Spanish patrols and most of the pirates. Sir Edwin Sandys, a well-connected figure in the aristocracy and merchant circles, was tasked with writing a new charter which he did. What was created was a new corporation. The Treasurer and Company of Adventurers and Planters of the City of London for the first colony in Virginia. It would have a treasurer and a governing council to form a permanent administrative body 
which would report on how things were going by both weekly and quarterly meetings. In addition to this change, a new council was made up of adventurers which the company would nominate, rather than the king. This new company would have the power to change the government of the colony. It had total legal power, as long as it was not contrary to English law. A new position was created, the governor. The governor would be the principal officer of the company in Virginia, and would have extensive powers, such as to introduce martial law. There would be an advisory council, but the governor could overrule the council and could not be removed by the council. It was hoped that this would introduce some sort of stability, the type of which Jamestown desperately needed. The first Lord Governor would be Sir Thomas West, the 12th Baron Delaware. Sir Thomas Gates, a prominent figure within the company, would be appointed his deputy, the Lieutenant Governor. Now, a quick word on pronunciation. American versus British. I'm going to take words on a case-by-case basis, at least for the moment. Maybe I'll end up forming a pattern, but I don't want to create any arbitrary rules just yet. Lieutenant is the first word I've had to deal with where there is a difference. In case you're not aware, in the UK we pronounce lieutenant as lieutenant. Since lieutenant governor is a political office, still found today, it seems to make more sense for me to go with the American pronunciation rather than the British. We'll see what pronunciations we end up with anyway, but right now I can't see myself saying vitamins or aluminum. Come on guys, vitamins, aluminium. Although, thinking about it, I guess lieutenant isn't the first word that I have been dealing with. I forgot about Caribbean, which is Caribbean, I think, in the American vernacular. But anyway, the New Virginia Company. It also expanded the territory of the colony. This, to me, seems to be because of the collapse of the North Virginia Company. There wasn't really a need to stop the colonies competing with each other if one of them collapsed, which it did. Jamestown's domain was expanded from 50 miles to 200 miles north and south, and its domain to the west was expanded from 100 miles to the Pacific Ocean. Although to those making the decisions in London, it wasn't known just how far it was to the Pacific, so that kind of makes sense a bit. Anyway, Thomas Smith then worked on funding what was to be a large-scale expedition. It would be done through stock. Bills of adventure could be purchased for the cost of £12, 10 shillings per share, or a person could join the expedition for a share equivalent to the rank and skills of the colonist. A lowly labourer would be worth a single share, while an artisan or officer would be worth more. Attempts were made to recruit craftsmen from abroad too. Requests for investments were made to the Lord Mayor of London and the other governing bodies and merchants. The Charter received royal approval on May 23rd, 1609, by which point 619 people and 55 London companies had invested, with hundreds signing up for the voyage. Don Pedro de Zuinga, the Spanish ambassador in London, 
was particularly alarmed by this in the messages he sent to King Philip III. He wrote that Lord Delaware was set to sail with six or seven hundred, and was to be closely followed by Gates, with four or five hundred men and a hundred women. This was ambitious, but Sir Thomas Smith was working on far more ambitious things. Jamestown was considered too small to be a primary base, and would be reduced to a garrison and another site selected for the capital. Much of the new policy was a reaction to what had been done by Wahan Sonicoc. He was not to be trusted. The other Native Americans were to be converted to Christianity, and they were no longer to give tribute to Wahan Sonicoc, but to the English. Wahan Sonicoc and the priests would be captured as part of this. While all this had been going on in London, we must return to Jamestown. We left Smith in mid-July, seeing two ships arriving. These were the Mary and the John, commanded by Samuel Argyle, who had been tasked with finding an alternative to the southern route. He sailed from Portsmouth in May, where he travelled southwest until reaching 30 degrees latitude north. He then headed west until he was a few hundred miles away from Bermuda, then he turned north, making landfall on July 13th, a nine-week voyage. He was to let Smith know of all that had gone on in London over the past few months, and what he found in Jamestown was chaos. The leadership was divided and the colony was beset by idleness. Men were starving, but wouldn't do anything to feed themselves. They instead sold their goods on the black market, causing inflation, making their goods relatively valueless. Smith was annoyed by the company's harsh criticism of him. They thought he'd been too hard on the Powhatans, which Smith felt sort of ignored the fact they had repeatedly tried to kill him. But Smith was delighted by the food they brought, and by the news of the funds the colony would receive. I want to get into the third supply properly next week, but we have one more thing I want to talk about this week before we wrap things up. You wait ages for a ship to turn up at once. In addition to Argyle, the next day, July 14th, another ship turned up. This time, it was the Spanish. We now need to go to Madrid. Philip III of Spain came to the throne at the age of 20 in 1598, and he would rule over the Spanish Empire at its height. He had been told continually by his ambassador in London, Don Pedro de Zuinga, of the potential dangers of the colony at Virginia. It was going to become a pirate's den, and none of the wealth of the New World would make it back to Spain. The English would steal it all. The only solution to this issue would be to destroy Jamestown, and to destroy it now. But Philip wasn't just going to blindly charge into such an adventure. He wanted to properly scope out the situation. He sent instructions to General Pedro de Ibarra, the governor of Florida, to investigate. De Ibarra chose Captain Francisco Fernandez de Ejica to conduct the mission, and he set out from San Agustin on June 11th, on the La Ocean de Cristo. Ejica sailed at a very leisurely pace, 
meaning that a voyage which I think should have taken about a week or so took over a month. He arrived the day after Argyle, while his ship was still in the mouth of the river, which spooked Echiha, who didn't go upstream. He was instead chased off. Had Echiha taken a few less days travelling north from Florida, he would have found a Jamestown in chaos. Perhaps he could have destroyed it, or at the very least, caused significant damage. It is a very interesting what-if. If you've enjoyed today's episode and you want to support the podcast, you can find the PayPal subscription button at thehistoryofpodcast.com. You can also like the show on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast, and follow me on Twitter at HistoryJamie. Those are probably the two best places to stay up to date with what is going on with the show. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate to send me an email. The History of Podcast at gmail.com. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.